So hey guys, we're back. And man, are we back with uh, a regular guest. Um, he is now become part of my family because I walk around the house saying, I, I need to read an article. And, um, and, and, and I, I've learned his vernacular and the way he sounds and I love talking to him. And that's Peter Brand. And Peter Brand is back. He's got a new book out. We're going to be talking about the book. We're going to be talking about the additional information and all the things that's going on with Peter. Because the last time we spoke, Peter, you and I spoke on March 12th, 2022, which is once when we actually recorded it. But we talk, we, if folks listening, we actually talk quite a bit. And, um, and I just love him. He's just a great guy. And, and when you get done, if you haven't heard Peter before, I urge you to go back through the library, through the, all the back uh, podcasts and start with number one about his life and his father and his father's influence. And then we've, we've spoken a bunch about Johnny Tyler and Texas Jack Vermillion. And, and it's just, he's just a great guy. And, and if you haven't heard him, go back and listen to this podcast. And when you're done, you're going to love him as much as I do. Of course, I want to thank my friends over at the Wild West History Association. You can find out about them at wildwesthistory.org. Uh, we're getting ready for Roundup 2023 in San Antonio, Texas. And then there's just so much going on, including the uh, the YouTube. If you go on YouTube and find Wild West History Association, there's a nine-part series between Victoria Wilcox and Dr. Gary Roberts that is just so good. And go through and watch that. It's just fantastic. You can also find uh, the WWHA on Facebook. And if you're an Instagrammer like I am, they have an Instagram page. And my friend Dave Guyton, he's over there running that. And holy cow, just phenomenal. Like you just, you get history everywhere. You can get it on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, on uh, on uh, here at the Cochise County page. It's just, you're just, you're going to get history everywhere. And it's just so great. Of course, I want to thank my friends also at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest running newspaper. I tell you guys all the time, you know it by heart. Don't do the one year, do the three year for 60. Uh, Cause if you do year to year to year, you'll pay $15 more. So you might as well just get the three year for 60 bucks. You get it delivered right to your door and Peter Brand and so many people, John Bosnecker and Peter Brand and Eric Wright and all these amazing people all contribute to the, uh, to the Tombstone Epitaph and Mark Boardman is over there as the editor just doing a phenomenal job. So uh, be sure to subscribe to the Tombstone Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. So a while back, uh, Peter wrote a book called The Life and Crimes of Perry Mallon. And Perry Mallon is one of the one of these people that really in played havoc on Doc Holliday. He was uh, married multiple times. He was arrested multiple times. He was in jail. He um, was a, a swindler. You know, he, he conned people out of money with huge stories and lies. And Peter wrote this book about this guy and the introduction uh, was by our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Gary L. Roberts and Gene Smith and Jennifer Lewis provided additional information on the first book, the first life and crimes. And then Peter, 
You know, he just doesn't let things go, especially when he finds information, additional information, because he's just a great researcher. And so he finished the one book, and then as he was researching other books, other things were popping up about Perry, and he and he set him to the side, and he wrote a, a part, is it a part two? Um, yeah, hi, Mike. Um, hi. No, it's a, it's a revised uh, second edition. So it has uh, the same cover artwork that my father originally did for the first edition, um, but it has a new title, um, Perry Mallon, the con man who arrested Doc Holliday. And um, when, when I write, I specialise in writing biographies about these Old West characters, and when I do write a biography of somebody, be it an article or a book, um, I then create a file on that, that character so that in future if new information pops up um, as I'm researching other people or or, or people connected to that character, I can then um, add that new information to my file and tuck it away in case at some point in the future I have enough information to write a revised edition or a or an updated article. And that's what's happened with Perry Mallon. As more information has become available to researchers online, um, I found that I was able to gather uh, a lot more information on Perry and how he impacted Doc. And um, and once I'd reached a stage where I thought, wow, I've, I've got a lot of new information here, I really should do a revised edition. So I revisited the original booklet and um, added some chapters, added a lot more photos um, and a lot more information So to, to fill out who Perry Mellon was because a lot of people still would be unaware of him as he was a he's never been depicted in any movies or anything like that so um he's still a bit of a mystery character to a lot of people but he had a huge influence on Doc Holliday and that's why I thought I'd, I'd do the the second edition uh, still has Gary Roberts's wonderful introduction at the start um and I still um give credit to Gene Smith and Jennifer Lewis who did do a lot of original research back in the day. But when when you are writing books, and for those that don't know Peter, you really should know who he is because he's written, he, he writes about, maybe a wrong word to use, and correct me if I'm wrong, my friend, like the background people. Like there's people that write about White Earp and Doc Holliday and, and Morgan and Virgil and and you know and Johnny Behand and and all these people, right? These predominant people in Tombstone and Cochise County and in history. And Peter writes about the background people that you may you'll you'll recognize by name, but do you really know who that person is? Like Texas Jack Vermillion or Johnny Tyler or Peter Peter Mallon. So when Perry, you, Perry Mellon. Or Perry Mellon, I'm sorry. It, to me, everything is Peter. Um, <laughs> and yeah, if you so, guys are so wondering... Theory, too, well, if yeah, you guys are wondering... My theory on that, Mike... What's that? My theory on that is that if you want to understand Doc Holliday, sure, you research Doc Holliday, but you have a look at the people he called friends and you have a look at the people he called enemies because to really get a full understanding of Doc or the Earps or whoever it is that you're writing about, you need to understand who they were friendly with and who they weren't friendly with. And, and that information will give you a, a bigger picture of the of the, of the guy, whether it's Wyatt or Doc Holliday. And, the, and that's why I, 
I'm so fascinated fascinated by your work, and it's I'm not kissing up. I mean, I, I do that all the time when we're on the phone, but um, you know, it's just it, you write these stories about people that are in the background, but they affect the person's life. What made you decide to really rewrite your second book? And the reason I say that is, did you, in all your research, was Perry showing up in different places that you didn't expect? And you're like, oh, he checked into a hotel and you put that in your file. Like what? Correct. What happened? Yeah, so... uh because I'm basically centered, my, my research is basically centered around Tombstone, the Earp Brothers and Doc Holliday and all the characters that were in Tombstone and that imp- impacted the Earps and Doc Holliday. I'm, I'm researching that field all the time. So if I'm looking for information on Johnny Tyler, he may, Perry Mellon may just pop up um, because he booked into the same hotel or he was... He was, you know, in the same town at the same time. So I'm kind of fortunate that way that I've concentrated my efforts on Tombstone, the Earps and Doc Holliday because by doing that and researching the people that that influenced um, them, like White Earps, Vendetta Posse, uh, in terms of Doc Holliday, um, I'm looking at Johnny Tyler who had a big influence on his life. And then I looked at Perry Mellon because without Perry Mellon, Doc Holliday is not arrested in Denver in 1882 after the Vendetta ride, and Doc Holliday doesn't become a national headline without Perry Mellon. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and that's why I, I thought Perry Mellon was worthy of not only the original uh, booklet, but also revisiting because of the huge influence he had on Doc Holliday. And as I said before, a lot of people may not know that, but after the Vendetta... The Earps and Holiday went to Colorado to to seek sanctuary there so that they wouldn't be extradited back to Arizona to face murder charges for killing Frank Stilwell. Right. And so we find the Earps and Holiday are up in Colorado. This is in um, April, May of 1882 after the Vendetta ride. And Doc Holiday has a falling out with White along the way, um, and he decides to go off on his own. He goes he, – originally he, he ends up in Trinidad and uh, Colorado, and then he goes to Pueblo, Colorado, and he goes on his own. And this is the first time in a long time that he's actually been on his own as, as opposed to the security of the Vendetta Posse. And it's in Pueblo, Colorado, that he runs into this character named Perry Mallon. And – this is a guy that hasn't um, made the headlines, hasn't, doesn't have a, a great resume. He's a small-time con man, uh, very small-time, so he's happy to take you for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. He's not playing big cons. He's playing little cons, and he's targeting either women or, or older uh, elderly types so he, he can make quick getaways and hit you for $150 or $100 and move on to the next town. So he's really small time. And he runs into Doc Holiday in Pueblo and the two meet in uh, in a theatre there and Malin starts telling Doc a lot of crazy stories about how he's, uh, he's warning Doc that the brother of Frank Stilwell is out for revenge and he's going to kill Doc and Malin wants to help Doc. And he's kind of... Um, I guess he's trying to get into 
Doc's confidence a little bit, but Doc's a bit smarter than that and and uh, sort of has grave doubts about Perry Mellon from the from the first meeting. But then he, he sort of says, well, okay, I've had enough of this guy. And he eventually, Doc, then a couple of days later, he moves on to Denver because there's a big horse race meeting up in Denver. Bat Masterson is going to that horse race, horse race meeting as well. And Doc decides, I'm through with Pueblo. I'm going to do some gambling up in Denver. So he heads up to Denver. And lo and behold, who, who follows him or shadows him to Denver but Perry Mellon? And the first or second night Doc's in Denver, Mellon actually steps out with two pistols and arrests him for uh, on the warrant that's out for him for the murder of Frank Stilwell. So we have this this guy, this Perry Mellon, this, this small-time con man, and immediately has this huge impact on Doc's life because he places him under arrest and he Doc gets locked up in, in the city, first in the city jail in the county jail in Denver. But so he's causing all though. sorts of trouble. But the the thing about I, I want to before you go on on the story because I want to add something, and I want to ask something at the same time. A small town con man, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, whatever it is, sometimes less, sometimes more, concocts a plan and becomes and tells everybody, if I'm correct, a Los Angeles police officer. Is that yes? And now that's not a that's not a, a an an easy con game. Like he just went from a small town con man and all of a sudden stepped up to a big big time to where he's a, a police officer that is there to arrest Doc for the killing of Frank Stilwell, and he's going to return him to Arizona for the five hundred dollars. That's correct, right? For the five hundred dollars. Yes, yeah, so he's but, motivated by money. Right, but I mean, he's he he went small time to big time really fast in one night. Like, how did that come about? Is is was it was he that desperate for money? And did he know about that plan that there's he's wanted and that there's a five hundred dollar bounty on Doc's head? My impression is that he was in Los Angeles early May, and he then took a train. Um, back to Colorado, and my impression is that he went via um, Arizona. So he's come from L.A., probably down through Yuma, across uh, through Arizona. He's gone through Tucson, and he's gone into New Mexico, and he's then headed straight up to Denver on the railway. And along the way, I'm sure he's he's reading newspapers of the Earth Bendetta ride and of Doc Holiday, and then he's just accidentally <laughs> run into Holiday in Pueblo. It's kind of like... The hand of fate touches mm. touches Doc, and so their their paths meet. I think by accident. I don't think it was by design in Pueblo. It's certainly by design in Denver because Mallon has met him in Pueblo and thought, "Hang on, this is Doc Holiday. This is the guy that I just read about in the newspaper who's wanted for murder back in Arizona. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this guy." So when Holiday left Pueblo, Mallon follows him to Denver, and overnight, as you say, Mallon thinks, "Hang on." I can go from fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. There's a five hundred dollar reward for this for this guy, Doc Holiday. I can get that five hundred dollars. I can step up into the big time for the first time in my life, and and that's what happened. He he took that one step that sometimes people don't take. Like he didn't take a backward step. He took a forward step, 
stepped up into the big time, pulled two guns on Doc Holliday and he arrests him. And, and I make the point in the book that he's, he, he may be a small-time con man, but he's the only man so far that I've read that has arrested an Earp Vendetta rider. So, so he does this, and then the, the lie doesn't end because newspapers around Denver and, and beyond are all of a sudden interviewing him. And he's, instead of staying quiet and just running Doc back to Arizona, he continues with this lie telling these papers that, yes, in fact, I am a Los Angeles police officer. Yes, yeah, so I think making himself uh, out to be a Los Angeles officer uh, sort of was Los Angeles at the time was a fair distance from Denver, right. although they would have been connected by a telegraph or whatever. But he 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 makes himself out to be something in another state. So he's not saying he's a detective in Colorado because that would be easy to to trace. He he invents his persona as being someone from you know, Los Angeles, California. Um, and so that makes him a little bit harder to track. So in the short term, he start being a con man, he tells lies. He's, he's great at lying. He's very, very adept at, at colouring the story to suit his own purpose because that's how he suckers people into for their $50. Or he might even tell a story just to borrow a gun or and then not return it or, or borrow a coat if it's cold and not return it. He's a small-time guy, but in this instance, he suddenly becomes a headline because, as you know, in Denver in 1882, there were several newspapers and they were national newspapers, so they're going out um, in all directions and a lot of other cities subscribed to the newspapers out of Denver because it was such a central hub at that time. So... He's talking to reporters, inventing so many wild stories about Doc Holliday. He states that he'd been chasing Holliday for seven years. He, he forgets about the Stillwell murder and he invents another murder. He claims that Doc had murdered Perry Mellon's best friend um, in Utah one time while they were playing Pharaoh. He, he talks about being in shootouts. He talks about Holliday killing five, six, seven, eight men. Um, he... he he, Mallon had the little finger missing off his, uh, his one of his hands and he, he even told the press that Doc Holliday had shot his little finger off, you know, during a gun battle that they'd had. So he was spinning these outrageous stories and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how we look at it, the local newspapers, so the Denver, uh, the Rocky Mountain uh, newspaper, the Denver Times, uh the Tribune, all these papers started writing about Doc Holliday. And, of course, this was bad news for the Earp Vendetta Posse who were trying to hide out down in Gunnison. All of a sudden, the whole story of the Vendetta's retold. Doc Holliday's involvement's retold. It's reprinted in newspapers throughout the entire country. And Doc is a massive headline. And it's all because of this arrest by Perry Mellon. So, Perry... Perry Mallon is doing his thing. He's concocted this big lie. And eventually, and I know there's a chain of events, Bat Masterson shows up. Bob Paul shows up. Can you, 
Can you go over that? Because it's a fascinating story. Yes, yeah, so Doc is actually placed in jail. So um, another reason why none of this has been put into film is because it, it doesn't reflect well on Doc. We don't see Doc winning very much in this scenario. Doc's been arrested by a small-time con man. I mean, in movies, Doc's always seen as this invincible gunfighter who's got the fastest drawer and, you know, he can outplay you, he can beat your cards, he can out-talk you, outwit you. But in reality, um, Mallon, this small-time con man, gets the better of Holiday. And so we don't see this in movies. We don't see Doc in jail in movies, you know, locked up and by a small-time con man. We don't see that. So that doesn't make good movie material, does it? So this particular period of his life isn't represented in movies. And to some extent, that also motivated me to tell the story because um, I'm fascinated by the fact that this small-time guy has created this massive headline for Doc. So it's a genuine uh, arrest, so he's he's definitely locked up. Uh, Arizona authorities are, rec- uh, are, are um, advised, and, of course, because Stilwell was murdered in Pima County, the, the man coming to uh, extradite Doc back to Arizona is Bob Paul, who is the sheriff of Pima County. So... Bob Paul turns up in Denver um, trying to extradite Holiday back to Arizona to face murder charges. So this is a very, very serious situation. Um, for Doc's looking at um, a very, very bad scenario if he ends up back in Arizona. So uh, he needs help, and two men step up to help him. Um, one is Bat Masterson, who just happened to be um, – at the races at the same time as Mel uh, and Doc were in Denver, and another gambler named George Crummy. Now, Crummy, again, a terrible name um, for starters, but he was a gambler who had been in uh, Tombstone um, when Doc uh, and Johnny Tyler were in Tombstone. So he had history of understanding who Doc was, uh, and he also had a really tight connection to the governor of Colorado at the time. So he was a good man to know, and Bat Masterson knew him as well. Uh, they were both gamblers, but with better connections than Doc had. So you had these two guys, Bat and George Crummy, working behind the scenes to try and influence the governor of Colorado not to sign off on those extradition papers that would send Doc Holiday back to Arizona. And probably um, if we take that if we, if we advance on that theory that Doc gets extradited back to Arizona, things would not be looking good for Doc. I mean, he's fa- he would be facing trial for the murder of Stilwell because that wasn't in dispute. Um, everyone knew Stilwell had been murdered by uh, the Earp Vendetta Posse and Doc was listed as one of the, the men that had uh, killed Stilwell in the warrant. So this was a very, very serious situation and not to be made light of at all. When... When Bat Masterson got involved, though, a a charge was trumped up in Pueblo to pull Doc out of this scenario that's going on in Denver and pull him back to Pueblo, correct? Yeah, so one of the things that uh, this George Crummy and Bat Masterson thought would work 
would be if Doc was facing a charge in Colorado, it would it's usual that you would face the charge in the state you're actually in first before you would face additional charges anywhere else. So George Crummy actually owned a saloon in Pueblo. Um, Bat Matheson at the time was the city marshal of Trinidad, um, Colorado. So both Crummy and um, it sounds funny saying his name because now we associate Crummy with being yeah, you know, bad. But, <laughs> but anyway, that was his name. So um, <laughs> so George Crummy owned a uh, saloon in Pueblo, and that's why um, the two between them, the two of them, Matheson and Crummy, they hatched a plan by which Doc would be charged. Falsely, but he would be charged with um, a fraud situation that ha- that they alleged happened in Pueblo, so that they could then petition the court uh, in Denver to have a writ of habeas corpus issued, so that Doc would be released into the custody of uh, Denver lawmen to be then transported to face these charges in Pueblo, and. When that happened, uh, if or if that happened, then that would delay the extradition proceedings um, and possibly delay them um, indefinitely. Because once the charge, once Doc faced the charges in Pueblo, they could then have those charges delayed or the court date for those charges sometime in the future, like the distant future, say six months or so by which time, you know, he would then be able to stay in Denver and not be extradited. So it was a cunning plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all fictitious, of course, but um, Doc went along with it, obviously, because it, it was going to save him from extradition or potentially save him from extradition. So they had to plan that he would then have to first face these these fictitious charges in Pueblo. So it's a, it, there's a lot of political um intrigue going on at the same time behind the scenes so you know in some ways it would make for good television but it do, it didn't make for um make it into the tombstone movie because it doesn't reflect well on doc but in any case he was very lucky that he had these two allies um in denver that were able to hatch that plan for him because it worked out um exactly as they predicted because george crummy had um business ties and was a strong influence on the governor of Colorado at the time, Frederick Pickin, he was able to influence the governor, produce these charges, uh, and the governor uh, eventually declined Bob Paul's paperwork, um, and Paul ended up, this is Bob Paul uh, from Pima County in Arizona, he ended up, you know, going home empty-handed because of these, these... fascinating political maneuvers that were going on behind the scenes. It's just a fascinating story. And if you guys are wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to Peter Brand. He's a good friend now. He's a part of my family. He's a good friend of mine now. And uh, we talk quite a bit. You can find his first book, The Life and Crimes of Perry Mallon by Peter Brand uh, on Amazon, I believe, correct? Yeah, so with the second edition, I decided to update the title. So whilst with the second edition, I've changed the title to Perry Mallon, The Con Man Who Arrested Doc Holliday, and it is available on Amazon. Um, and you only have to go to Amazon, uh, click on the book section, and type in Perry Mallon, um, M-A-L-L-O-N, um, and that'll be the first book that comes up. Um, and it's I've, I've managed to... Um, expand on that 
uh, story about Doc being arrested in Denver and add in some more detail that's since come to light. Um, but the, the th- interesting, further to that point, the interesting thing is that although he um, he avoided the extradition back to Arizona, which was, you know, ultimately the goal, he was then somewhat trapped in Colorado because um, that's where his sanctuary was. He couldn't really, for the next three years, he was stuck in Colorado. He couldn't leave. So he, he ended up trying to reconcile um, with the Earps. So he went to face these charges in Pueblo. The case was um, delayed, as as was predicted. He was out on $300 bail um, pending the hearing of these charges in Pueblo, which allowed him to stay in Colorado. It was actually was part of his bail conditions that he had to stay in Colorado. George Crummy put up the money. Um, the, the case was heard in Pueblo because that's where Crummy had his saloon. Um, Bat Matheson eventually went back to Trinidad where he had a job as the city marshal. It always amused me that the city marshal was able to just go to the races in Denver whenever he wanted, but I guess that came with being the city marshal. Um, and then Doc ends up facing the charges, having the charges in Pueblo delayed. Doc then takes that opportunity to reunite with the Vendetta Posse in Gunnison. And so in June of 1882, we find Doc back in Gunnison with the Earps. But in the meantime, the newspapers have gone crazy. The newspapers have just reprinted all these stories that Marilyn told about holiday. So Doc has gone from being um, a headline in the southwest for uh, the Vendetta ride to being a national headline because of Perry Mallon. And that can't be understated because uh, a lot of people don't realise that but at, at the time, in in May of 1882, the Earps are trying to keep a low profile because they're on the, they're on the run from these murder charges themselves. I mean, they were both the brothers, um, Sherman McMaster and Jack Johnson, have been named in the warrant along with Doc for the murder of Stuart. So they're, they're trying to downplay everything. They're, they're trying to keep low, keep out of the action. So they're in Gunnison keeping a low profile. And the worst thing that could have ever happened was this arrest of Doc because it threw him into the headline. The newspapers started retelling the vendetta right. So Wyatt and his friends, you know, this was the worst possible scenario for them. So when Doc turns up to see them in Gunnison again, I don't think that was um, a happy reunion I'm reading between the lines. It's never been, you know, outright said by any of the participants, but I don't think he was well received when he came back to Gunnison, and I think that's why he took off again and ended up in Leadville because he easily could have stayed in Gunnison with the Earps because the Earps stayed there for six months and he could have enjoyed their company. They were gambling. Uh, there was gambling in, in Gunnison, so he could have easily done that, um, but he didn't. He took off to Leadville, and I think it was because once they reunited, I don't think it was the same. I don't think the feelings were the same. I don't think they appreciated what trouble Doc had uh, brought on them again by this, by foolishly being arrested by this small-time con man. I don't think they appreciated the fact that they were headline news again um, when they were trying to keep a low profile. So my reading of that situation is that Doc didn't stay in Gunnison with the Earps, and I think that when he leaves the Earps in Gunnison, I think that's pretty much the end of their relationship as such. I mean, and, and that's why it's important, because what you said is true. 
that it wouldn't make a great movie. It wouldn't show well on screen because Doc's in trouble. He's arrested. He's in jail. A con man gets the better of him. Ends up in Gunnison, like you said. It wasn't a great thing. There was. It started, I believe it started because of some racial slur down in New Mexico. Um, and, and then Doc ends up in Leadville and then leading, and people have a hard time with this, but leading a normal life. Like he was, you know what I mean? Like he didn't, he didn't go to Leadville to be the Doc Holiday that people think he is. He tried his best. He was involved in city council. He was involved in city politics. He was working a normal job as a, as a, um, what, a pharaoh? Um, yeah, so you know, I, my, yeah, I, I agree with you on that point, and I think that's why this Perry Mallon arrest was so important because I think it really shook him up. As much as we don't like to think of Doc being able to be, you know, shook up, everyone's got an, an image of him from the Tombstone movie as being, you know, virtually unflappable, which is, which is correct. You know, which is totally incorrect. Um, I think this arrest really hit home with him. And I think uh, also I think probably the freeze that he got when he went to uh, Gunnison, I think he probably sensed, you know, I can't really stay here because I, I don't think our relationship with the Earps is the same. Mm-hmm. I think it shook him up so bad that he went to Leadville uh, to gamble, to be honest, because it was a gambling capital. But I think it also um, pointed home to him or brought the point home to him that, hey, I've got to keep a, a bit of a low profile myself. I've got to start trying to stay out of trouble. Otherwise, the worst possible scenario could happen and, you know, someone could come looking for me again for this, um, this Stillwell warrant. So I think it shook him up enough that he decided, hey, I need to settle down. I need to... Um, call at one town home i need to make some new friends um i i need to try to live a normal life and i think that's what he tried to do in leadville well again if you're wondering who we're talking to we're talking to peter brand you can find his book perry mallon uh the con man who arrested doc holiday on uh on amazon the reason we're amazon is so uh, helpful now is because you can purchase it if you live outside of the United States and other countries, you can purchase it on Amazon and the shipping is relatively inexpensive in court instead of buying it like in the States and having it shipped. So it's, he, Peter's done a fantastic service getting that book into the Amazon system so that more people can buy it and more people can get those books. And, uh, it's just, it's great. So look up again, Peter Brand. Um, it'll have a picture of, uh, uh, Perry Mellon on the front, really a fantastic drawing and uh, beautiful artwork. And so I, I urge you now, I believe that if you go to tombstonevendetta.com, you can get the book, but in an autographed? Um, yeah, so originally in our previous discussions, right. we, you know, I've, I've been selling uh, my work at Arizona via the website tombstonevendetta.com and, and that's been great. You know, we've been able to sell an awful lot of books that way. But I was running into trouble because I was getting interest from Canada, uh, from Europe, from the UK, and those customers um, were wanting to order the book, but um, they were finding that the shipping costs in many cases were the same cost as the book. Uh, and so I was looking for a way to try to reach those customers 
Um, and Amazon was the 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 logical uh, answer to that dilemma. So I've got all three books now up on Amazon. Um, so if you if you're interested in Perry Mallon, you can search for Perry Mallon under the book section, and the first book that should come up is The Con Man Who Arrested Doc Holliday. If you search under Johnny Tyler, you'll find Doc Holliday's Nemesis, the story of Johnny Tyler, and Tombstone's Gambler's War. And if you're interested in The Vendetta Posse, you can search Texas Jack for Million, and uh, the second edition Texas Jack for Million book will uh, come up for, the, for anybody wishing to purchase from outside the USA or or even inside the USA for that matter. But, yeah, I was I was missing out on some sales there from overseas customers. And being an overseas customer myself, um, I, I was aware that the shipping costs are quite large. So, um, you know, this is a way that I can get the books out to other, other interested people in other countries. And it's kind of cool to go international. Yeah, and it's just it's just smart business. So, you know, if you guys are looking for that, go on Amazon. And he does have another book that's coming out with a part two. And I'm hoping that he'll say yes to an interview about that um, because he has found additional information. So I'm hoping that he'll say, yes, Mike, I would absolutely love to talk about that. Um, is that is that right? Is that in my... So, yeah, so... Um... As I mentioned before, um, when I write a biography of somebody, I I then not only have that biography as my basis, but I I create a file on them so that if any new information comes to light, um, and it certainly does come to light because more information is being digitised, more newspapers are going online, um, more archives are going online. So it's making uh, search engines have been created that make finding information a little bit easier than the old days. So... Um, I like to think that um, whilst I try to capture every single thing when I go to print, obviously, you know, there's going to be things that come to light later. So I'm always keen to gather that new information and see if it's worthwhile um, doing a second edition. And obviously was worthwhile in the, in the case of Perry Mallon because I was able to expand a lot more on his life story Um that's the other thing that this book does, that the Perry Mell and the con men who arrested Doc Holliday, whilst it incorporates um, the huge issue of arresting Doc Holliday, it tells Perry Mellon's life story. So it it tells you where he came from, how he developed uh, into the, the con man that he was, and then the cons that he conducted before he arrested Holliday and further cons that he conducted after he arrested Doc Holliday. So you get a, a biography of the guy through to, um, you know, we even go into the 20th century because he made it into the 1900s. So, um, and I've done the same thing with Texas Jack for me. And so Texas Jack for me and was uh, published back in 2012. Uh, and over the last uh, few years, a few more things have come to light and I thought it was worth um, having sold out the first edition completely. Uh, I thought it, it might be worth um, doing a, an updated second edition. So there's a second edition available on Texas Jack um, on Amazon. So um, it has an, a really great new photo of Texas Jack on the cover Um hasn't been published before and I thought it was worthy uh, and you'll, you you might have, I don't know if you've seen the cover of that. Beautiful. Um, Mike, Mike Mahalovich. Yeah. 
You just did a yeah, fabulous was, job on the on the artwork. Very, Fantastic. Yeah, very grateful to Mike Mihalovich and um, for helping me with that. And another another graphic uh, artist lady from the UK actually um, who runs a Doc Holiday Facebook group. Um, uh, Anna Sitnina in the UK, she also uh, assisted me with the cover art yeah. for the second edition. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like to um, I like to update the stories if I can. If there's enough information, um, you know, I like to update the story. And because I'd sold out all the first editions, all the signed first editions are all sold, I thought it's time to reprint do I reprint the original first edition or do I update and go with the second edition? And I decided to, to do the second edition. So um, if you go to Amazon or uh, tombstonevendetta.com, um, the second editions, Harry Mallon and Texas Jack, are available uh, on both formats. If um, And Johnny Tyler obviously is still for sale. He's only just been um, printed, so there's still uh, – there's still additions left of his. So. so back to my question. I, I, for those listening, yes, Peter will be back for uh, for the Texas Jack when the book when the book is released and it's out out and wide. I we'll, we'll get him back on the Perry Mallon book, the new book, uh, yeah. the con man who arrested Doc Holliday. Without giving all of the new information that you found. And putting it into the book. And can you give us like a teaser? Like think about right now yeah. as I'm speaking of one thing that is, that's new, but like, like I don't want you to tell the big, big one. Like, oh my gosh, Mike, when you read this, your mind is just, boom, it's going to be blown. Like give us a teaser of something that you found that was not in the first book that is in the second book. Cause I really want to learn about that. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that sticks out in that regard, in in regard to your question, is that when Perry Mallon first met Doc Holliday in Pueblo, uh, in the I think it was around about the first or second week of May 1882 in Pueblo, Colorado, Mallon introduces himself to Doc, and Doc hasn't met him before ever, but Mallon makes out that he's Doc's friend and that he's trying to. Um, save his life because he's telling him that the brother of Frank Stilwell is trying to kill, is out to kill Doc. And, and so he's using his con man skills to try to weasel his way into Doc's confidence. And one of the things that he does in that theatre in Pueblo to try to uh, make out that he's the real deal is he shows Doc Holliday a wound an alleged wound in his lower abdomen and his, his groin area, his leg area. So he actually drops his drawers in the in a saloon and shows Doc this wound. And Doc being Doc just laughs him off and, and tells reporters of the event later on in Denver. And he says, this Mallon character dropped his drawers, showed me this wound, and he said, I thought it was just a mark of disease. So Doc is trying to downplay anything that Perry Mallon said about him. He's trying to make Mallon out to be the liar that he was. But in this instance, it turned out that that Mallon, for once in his life, was actually being truthful and that it was a wound and that he had been in a gunfight. And 
in the first edition, none of that information was available to me. So I went with Doc Holliday's version. Doc said, no, nah, that wasn't, it wasn't a gunshot wound. And let's face it, if there's anybody who knew what a gunshot wound looked like, it would have been Doc Holliday, right? Because mm-hmm. he'd inflicted a few and he had one or two inflicted on himself. So he knew what a gunshot wound looked like, but, but he wanted to make Mallon out to be um, anything but credible. So he tells the Denver reporters that Mallon told me it was a gunshot, but I knew it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a mark of disease. And so that was meant to, you know, really put the knife into Mallon. But it turned out, as I, as more research became available to me and as I found more things, it turned out that Mallon actually was in a gunfight and had been wounded in the groin and leg, and that was a genuine gunshot wound that he'd sustained. And he'd had this horrendous um, situation occur prior to meeting Holiday. So I, I had a needed a whole new chapter just to cover that, and it happened in Wyoming, of all places. Uh, oh. But Mallon was actually on the level when he showed Doc Holiday that wound. Um, and Doc couldn't allow that to um, to seem the truth because he wanted to make Mallon out to be the fraud that he was. But in this one instance, Mallon had actually told the truth. Wow. So there's how many of those little, and they're not little because they're big, how many things, additional items were found are in the book? Are there 10, 20, 5? Well, well, there's a... There's information that I've found that alters the the timeline a little bit. So in the first edition, uh, without the information, you're forced to make an assumption or have a guess at, at where he was or what he might be doing between points A and B if there's nothing that you can find. You can either speculate about it, which if I do speculate, I always tell the reader that I'm speculating. I obviously don't make things up. But... Um, in this particular case, there's a there was a gap there of time where I didn't know what he was up to. Well, now I do know what he was up to, and it, it was a sensational um, situation. It wasn't, you know, he just booked into a hotel for the night and then got the train and moved on and booked into another hotel. It wasn't like that. Uh, it was a full-on gunfight um, with someone who was trying to assassinate him. So that sort of information prompted me. I thought it was, it was so... Um, it was so juicy. I thought we can't, you know, we can't let the reader not in on that because it impacted um, his life. Presumably, I, I don't think it uh, helped his demeanour any to get shot, but it also impacted Doc because um, Doc was then forced to lie to the reporters about the fact that Mallon actually did have a gunshot wound, and that would have just if Doc had have, had have admitted that uh, to the press, it would have just bolstered Perry Mallon. Uh, his claims, you know, if Doc right. had said, yeah, this guy is the gunfighter, then that would have just bolstered Perry Mallon's claims, and Doc was trying to do the opposite. So um, we find um, uh, that was an eye-opener to me. Uh, there was also um, information that he'd been in South America, which I hadn't known prior, um, and uh, so Mallon had actually travelled to South America, which when you think about it, it's pretty exotic for the 1870s. Um, so there's a whole lot of new information in there. And there's also uh, tidbits like I mentioned now. I know that um, when he arrested Doc, he'd come from California. So that's probably the reason why he mentioned that he was a, a California detective because he'd spent some recent time in California. So, um, 
you know, there's there's all sorts of tidbits that come up uh, that help you with your timeline, help you understand why he might have said the things that he said. Uh, whereas in the first edition, I, that information wasn't available to me. We got about five minutes left, and if you guys that are listening don't know, like I said. Peter and I talk quite a bit and every phone call is an hour plus. Like you think, Oh, let's talk for five minutes and it never happens. In the book. There's always something new to talk about, Mike. Yeah. In the book, you got about five minutes. The last chapter is called end of the line. Yeah. It, it never, his, the end of his life, did was never really explained. Did you find additional yeah, so, information afterwards about where he went and where he passed or where he's buried or any of that? No, so the the last chapter has been expanded greatly, I must say. Oh. Um like there's several new pages and new information oh, there. But because he was a con man, I, I believe he was a con man all his life. I don't think a, a guy like that just changes overnight to become a, a model citizen. I suspect that he changed his name um, on more than one occasion. Um, so once once somebody does that, um, it makes them very, very hard to track. So he does turn up back in um, his hometown of Akron, Ohio, but the only reason he turns up back there in 1920 is to uh, claim his share of his deceased mother's estate. Right. So he turns, he does show up in 1920 back in Akron, but it's, it's self-serving. The only reason he's back there is to claim money. He didn't even is, go to her seems funeral. seems to have been his motivation all through his life. Yeah, he didn't even go to his mother's funeral. Correct. So I expand on, a little bit on that as well, and Mike Mihailovich helped me um, obtain a, a better copy of his mother's probate file from Akron. The original probate file, unfortunately, uh, is in a bad state. So once you try to copy a a document that's in a bad state, you end up with a bad copy. Uh, My original copy uh, that Gene Smith had obtained for me uh, all those years ago was in a bad way to begin with, but Mike was able to get a slightly better copy for me. This is Mike Mihailovich, who's a great um, researcher and soon-to-be author himself in Arizona. He helped me uh, obtain a a better copy of the probate file, and that gave me a little bit more insight into Mallon, uh, also about his niece, his mother, uh, his relatives. And unfortunately, I've got to say, for a biography, we know where he was born, we know how he lived a lot of his life, but unfortunately I haven't been able to find where he's actually buried, and I suspect it's because he changed his name. Yeah, that is just crazy. I can't wait because that part of the book, because you had a picture in there that was a really fantastic of a family reunion, and then the next page is a little bit about him, and then he kind of just disappears at the end of the book. So I'm really looking forward to reading that part of it, the additional information to maybe hopefully give some closure. But the thing is, is that I'm hoping, you know, as, as Peter continues, you know, through the internet and through his research, that one of these days something's going to pop up and Peter's going to be, oh, he's, he's buried in, you know, Hollywood or he's buried in, you know, somewhere. It's just. Well, one of the, one of the clues that came to light, um, 
for me recently was that uh, when he arrived back in um, in Akron, Ohio, to claim his his share of his deceased mother's estate, he actually told the reporter that he was living in Long Beach, California, oh. in 1920. So that's the only clue that we've got to go on. So if there's anybody out there that um, has access to any Long Beach, California records, um, yeah, it might be worth having a look to see if Perry Mallon uh, pops up there um, in in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's cool. So it's it, you know, and and the thing about Mike, and I'm going to give a shout out to Mike. So I met Mike Mahalovich. Uh, if he's listening, hi Mike. Um, hope you're not waving at the at the radio. Hi, um, Mike and I met at a on a hike, and we hiked out to uh, uh, Drew's station and Drew's home, and got out on the stage road. And uh, spent the whole day with a group of people and researchers and historians and and uh, just a terrific guy. So I'm glad he's involved in your work and I'm glad he he did the artwork on your new book. Um, well, he he didn't he didn't do the artwork. Well, but not the he, artwork, uh, he, but he helped. My father did the original artwork on. on right, but I mean, I was, I was talking about your other book. Uh, the, the oh yeah, he, he, he assisted with the graphic design of that. Yeah. Um. Do you have anything new coming out? We got just about a minute or so left. Do you have anything new? Yeah. I know you're you're working on an article for the epitaph, but do you have any new books coming out? Uh, no new book at the moment, um, but um, I am working on um, an article about Doc Holiday for the Tombstone Epitaph, and I'm also working on an article um, for the Wild West History Association, hopefully to be published uh, early next year. So. Um, I don't want to say too much about that one, um, but the one for the epitaph is about Doc Holliday. Well, if you guys want to get that journal where Peter Brand is at, you'd have to become a member of the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. It's about 75 bucks a year, but you get that journal, and that journal is just cram-packed. It's like 100, 100 and something pages of just jam-packed history with 100% true provenance and truly researched by amazing people like Peter and Linda Womack and, and Roy B. Young and just, and, and, and Mike and just so many people. If I leave some, uh, John Bosnecker, if I leave somebody out, I apologize. So if you want to join, you can do so at the Wild West History at wildwesthistoryassociation.org. Actually, excuse me, wildwesthistory.org. Um, I can't thank you enough. As always, it, it, you just you just blow my mind every time we're on the uh, we we talk. You're just the, you know a great guy. I can't wait for someday for you to show up in Tombstone. I I I'm gonna buy you a big ass beer at Big Nose Kate's and belly up to the bar and and uh, I can't thank you enough. Every time you say yes to being interviewed, I pre- I appreciate you so much. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to to talk because it's great to be able to to uh, do these podcasts and reach so many of your listeners. I mean, it's a fantastic concept and you're, you're to be congratulated on oh, how you. successful they've been because you really do give access to authors and researchers to get their stories out there and it's very much appreciated. Well, I appreciate it. And um, again, we're talking to Peter Brand. He's got a new book out called Perry Mallon, The Con Man Who Arrested Doc Holliday. The Con Man Who Arrested Doc Holliday. It is at um, on Amazon, and I urge you to get it there and get it right delivered right to your door. And then if you also look up the other Peter Brand books, you're going to want them. And I, it's 
the artwork on the covers are fantastic. The information is on the inside is fantastic. I've said this before about his books. I love the format of the books because he packs them full of photos. And I love a story. And then I love photos that goes with it because when you put the two together, it gives it like a greater depth, a greater meaning. And he just does a phenomenal job. Um, again, I want to thank my friends at uh, Tombstone Epitaph, Mark and Eric over at uh, Tombstone Epitaph, uh, Arizona's longest running newspaper. You get it delivered right to your door and uh, it goes for about 60 bucks for three years. It's a huge deal and it's just, it's so much. Bob Bo's Bell's in the center. Uh, there's wonderful articles and pictures and graphics and maps. It's all there and I urge you to uh, subscribe and uh, you can do so at tombstoneepitaph.com. As always, I appreciate you guys a bunch. Please, wherever you're listening, please give a rating and a review. Uh, if you're on iTunes or Spotify, hit that follow button because it does help with distribution. You can find me on YouTube at Cochise County Travel. So if you have a an older person, maybe somebody who doesn't understand how to uh, get around iTunes on an app or whatever, but they completely understand YouTube, these podcasts are on YouTube as well and in an audio format only. So you can listen to this information and all the podcasts are there. And this one will be up uh, fairly quickly. And uh, go to my YouTube, which is Cochise County underscore travels. You can find me there in the podcast. You can also find me at Instagram, uh, Cochise County underscore travels. I just posted some pictures today um, about Campo Seco. And 1854, uh, Bob Paul, Robert Haviland Paul, got his first constable job in Campo Seco. And I posted some color photos about Campo Seco. And if you want to find me on Facebook, again, Cochise County underscore travels. Until next time, I appreciate you guys a bunch, and we'll see you soon.